I'm, I'm really speaking about all of humanity, you know, without exception of anybody, you know. And I, I know that um, a lot of the content in the songs is very heavy, you know, but uh, see, fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. And I've just retired from the fantasy part because I realized that.
joyous, joyful exaltations and greetings to those that liberate themselves. Welcome to Women Wednesday. I'm your host, Mari Amatine. Blessings and greetings and love to all. Tonight's theme is Delve into Twelve, the Twelve Disciples, the Twelve Disciplines of Mind, Twelve Virtues, Twelve Jewels, Twelve Gates of Heaven, Twelve Powers of Man, Part 2. We're going to start off tonight in the praise up, and I looked up some Bible verses regarding self-discipline, the Twelve Disciplines of Mind, overstand. So Hebrews twelve eleven. Now no chastening, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are excised thereby. Proverbs twenty five, twenty eight. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. 1 Corinthians 9.27 But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Proverbs 15.32, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof giveth understanding. Titus 1.8 But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Proverbs 13.18 Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Second Chronicles five, excuse me, fifteen seven. Be ye strong, therefore, and not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. 1 Corinthians 9:25 And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. Hebrews 13:5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such, with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor will I forsake thee. He will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. We're going to take a music moment, and we're going to delve into 12, the 12 disciplines of mind, 
12 virtues, 12 jewels, the 12 organs that are ruled by the 12 overstand, the 12 powers of man, the 12 gates of heaven, blessings and grace. Judging this list of 
woman that grew tired of bleeding in silence, so she taught herself to stop swallowing her tongue. 
As humans, that's where we start, overstand. Wonder, wonder-filled, wonderment, thinking, overstand, discipline, discipline the mind. The 12 powers of man, you know, I, um, I reference The Twelve Powers of Man by Charles Fillmore. It was written in 1930. The subconscious realm in man has 12 great centers of action with 12 presiding egos or identities. When Jesus had attained a certain soul development, he called his 12 apostles to him. This means that when the man is is developing, out of mere personal consciousness into spiritual consciousness, he begins to train deeper and larger powers. He sends his thoughts down into the internal centers of his organism and through his word quickens them. Through his word, word sound power, quickens them to life. Where before his powers have worked in personal, now, now they begin to expand and work in the universal. This is the first and second coming of Christ spoken of in the scriptures. The first coming is the receiving of the truth into the conscious mind. And the second coming is the awakening and the regeneration of the subconscious mind through the superconsciousness, also known as the Christ mind. Man expands and grows under divine evolution as an industrial plant grows, as the business expands, as it is found that system is necessary. Instead of one man being able to do all the work with the assistance of a few helpers, he requires many helpers. Instead of a few helpers, he needs hundreds. 
In order to promote efficiency, he must have heads for the various departments of the work. Scripture symbology calls the heads of the departments in man's consciousness the 12 apostles. Each of these 12 departments' heads has control of a certain function in soul or body. Each of these heads works through an aggregation of cells, that physiology, that ganglionic center. Physiology calls it a ganglionic center. Jesus, the I am, or the central entity, has his throne at the top of the head, where phrenology locates spirituality. So the throne's at the top of the head. This is the mountain where he so often went to pray. Okay? So these are the 12 faculties that they represent and the nerve centers where they preside, the 12. So faith is Peter, center of the brain. Strength is Andrew, the loins. Discrimination or judgment is James, son of Zebedee, at the pit of the stomach. You got a gut feeling, right? Discrimination or judgment. Love, John, at the back of the heart. That's where love resides, at the back of the heart. Power, Philip. At the root of the tongue. The root of the tongue is where the power lies. Imagination, Bartholomew, between the eyes. Understanding, Thomas, the front of the brain. Will, Matthew, center of the brain. Order, James, the son of Alpheus, is at the navel. The order. Zeal, Simon the Canaan, back of the head, the medulla. Renunciation or elimination. Renunciation or elimination. Thaddeus, the abdominal region, right? You eliminate the colon over there. Life conserver, Judas, genitive function. Now, the physiological designations of these faculties are not arbitrary. The names can be expanded or changed to suit a broader understanding of their full nature. For example, Philip, at the root of the tongue, governs taste. He also controls the action of the larynx, as well as the vibrations of power, overstand the intonations of power, the emanations of power throughout the organism, so that the term power expresses but a small part of its official capacity. The reverberation of power, the action of the larynx. The first apostle that Jesus called was Peter. Peter represents faith in things spiritual, faith in God. We begin our religious experience or unity with divine mind, by having faith in that mind as omnipresent, all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful spirit. Faith in the spiritual man quickens spiritual understanding. Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah. His faith opened his spiritual discernment, and he saw the living Christ back of the personal mask 
worn by Jesus. He saw the living Christ in the back of the personal mask worn by Jesus. When asked, why do men say the Son of Man is, the apostles, looking upon personality as the real, looking upon personality as the real, said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus appealed to their own inner spiritual understanding, and he said, but who say ye that I am? Only Simon Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the grave, shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Spiritual discernment of the reality of man's origin and, and, and being is the only enduring foundation of character. It was to this faith and understanding of the real being of man that Jesus gave power in earth and heaven. It was not to the personal Peter that Jesus gave the keys to his kingdom, but to all who through faith applied the binding affirmation and the loosing, the denying power of spirit in the earth, substance consciousness. Right here and now, the great work of character building is to be done. And whoever neglects present opportunities, looking forward to a future of heaven for better better conditions, future of heaven for better conditions, you got to make room for your convictions. Overstand, and it's pulling away from the kingdom of heaven within himself. You have to be convicted, not afflicted. People who live wholly in the, in, the, in, in the intellect deny that man can know anything about God because they do not have the quickened faith. The way to bring forth the God presence is to make oneself conscious of God, is to say, I have faith in God. I have faith in spirit. I have faith in things invisible. Such affirmations of faith, such praise to the invisible God, the unknown God will make God visible to the mind and will strengthen the faith faculty. Thus faith, Peter, is called an instructed spirituality. Faith is called an instructed spirituality. Through the reverberation and the power of the larynx of the word, of the voice, the word sound power, you call it into your being. You call it into your presence so that you can be instructed spiritually. When a sensor loses its power, it should be baptized by the word of spirit. We are all told in the scriptures that Philip went down to Gaza, the same as desert, and there baptized the eunuch. Gaza means citadel of strength. It refers to the nerve center in the loins where Andrew's strength reigns. Lo, now his strength is in his loins. Gaza is the physical throne of strength as Jerusalem is the throne of love. The back grows weak under the burden of material thought. If you are given to pains in your back, if you become exhausted easily, 
you may know at once that you need treatment for freedom from material burdens. Eliminate from your mind all thought of the burdens of the world, the burdens of your life, and all seeming labors. Take your burdens to Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavenly laden, and I will give you rest. We are pressed upon the ideas of materiality. Thoughts make things, and the material ideas that are pressing upon us, substantial in the realm of the mind, as material things are substantial in the realm of matter. Everything has its origin in thought and material thoughts. And material thoughts will bring forth material things. So you should baptize and cleanse with your spiritual word every center. As Philip baptized the eunuch of Gaza, baptism is cleansing. It always represents the erasing power of the mind. When the baptizing power of the word is poured upon a center, it cleanses all material thought. Impotence is vitalized with new life, and the whole subconscious is awakened and quickened. The word of the Lord is 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 there sown? It's sown in the body. And once the word of the Lord is sown in any of these centers, the cells, which are like blank records, they take the thought that is given them and send it through the whole organism. The baptism of strength goes to the uttermost parts of the body, and every one of the 12 powers under the divine law feels the new strength. James, the son of Zebedee, represents discrimination and good judgment and dealing with substantial things. James is the faculty in man that wisely chooses and determines. It may be in the matter of it may be in the matter of judgment about the relation of external forces. It may be in the choosing of a wife or a husband. In a thousand different ways, this faculty is developed in man. The spiritual side of James' faculty is intuition, quick knowing. James and John are brothers, and Jesus called them sons of thunder. These brothers preside over the great body brain called the solar plex, solar plexus, or sun center. James has his throne at the pit of the stomach, and John, just the back of the heart. They are unified by bundles of nerves and are metaphysically closely related. Whatever affects the stomach will sympathetically affect the heart. People with weak stomachs nearly always think they have heart trouble. Jesus called those two apostles sons of thunder, tremendous vibrations or emotions that go forth from the solar plexus. When your sympathies are aroused, find that you begin to breathe deeply and strongly. And if you are very sympathetic, you can feel the vibrations as they go out to the person or thing which you are directing your thoughts. All fervor, all the high energy that comes from soul passes through these centers. Bartholomew represents imagination. The imagination has a center of action directly between the eyes. This is the point of 
expression for a set of tissues that extend back into the brain and connect with an imaging or picture-making function near the root of the optic nerve. Through this faculty, you can project an image of things that are without or ideas that are within. For instance, you can project the image of jealousy to any part of your body. Chemistry of thought combined with function make your complexion yellow. You can image and project beauty by thinking goodness and perfection for everybody. Bartholomew is connected directly with the soul and has great power in the pictures of the mind. Jesus saw him under a fig tree a long way off before he was visible to the natural eye. Do not imagine anything but good because under the law of thought combined with substance, it will sooner or later come into expression unless you head it off, eliminated by denial. Man has faculties of elimination as well as of appropriation. If you know how to handle them, you can expel error from your thought. The denial apostle is Thaddeus, presiding in the abdominal region, the great renunciator of the mind and body. Overstand fasting. All the faculties are necessary to the perfect expression of the man. None is despised or unclean. Some have been misunderstood. Through ignorance, man has called them mean until they act in a way and cause him pain and sorrow. The elimination by Thaddeus of the waste of the system through the bowels is a very necessary function. Thomas represents the understanding power of man. Understanding. He is called the doubter because he wants to know about everything. Thomas is in the front of the brain. His collaborator, Matthew, the will, occupies the same brain area. Faculties are jointly in occupation of this part of the promised land. Overstand. Like the land of Ephraim and, and Manasseh, their inheritance is undivided. James, the son of Alphaeus, represents divine order. His center is at his navel. Simon the Canaan represents zeal. His center is at the medulla, at the base of the brain. When you burn with zeal and are, and, and are anxious to accomplish great things, you generate heat at the base of your brain. If this condition is not balanced by the cooperation of the supplying faculties, you will burn up the cells and impede the growth of the soul. For the zeal of thy house hath, hath, hath eaten me up. Judas portrayed Jesus, has his throne in the generative center. Judas governs the life consciousness of the body, and without his wise cooperation, the organism loses its essential substance and dies. Judas is selfish. Selfish. Greed is his devil. Judas governs the most subtle of the beasts of the field, sensation. But Judas can be redeemed. The Judas function generates the life of the body 
We need life, but life must be guided in divine ways. There must be a righteous expression of life. Judas, betrayer of Jesus, must in the end be cleansed of the devil, cleansed of selfishness. Having been cleansed, he will allow the life force to flow to every part of the organism. Instead of being a thief, drawing to the sex center the vital forces necessary to the substance of the whole man, Judas will become a supplier. He will give his life to every faculty. In the prevailing race consciousness, Judah drains the whole man, and the body dies as a result of his selfish thievery. It is through Judas the desire to appropriate and to experience the pleasure of sensation that the soul, Eve, is led into sin. Through the sins of the sex life, casting away the precious substance, the body is robbed of its essential fluids and eventually disintegrates. The result is called death, which is the great and last enemy to overcome by man. I believe in life and more life. We shed this skin and we get a new garment upon the new awakening. Immortality in the body is possible to man only when he has overcome the weaknesses of sensation and can conserve his life substance to have control over your physical You can't let the beast of the field sensation overtake you all the time, anywhere, anytime. Discipline in everything. If you would build up your faculties under the divine law, redeem Judas. First have faith in the power of spirit and then speak to and then speak to Judas the word of of of, of purity. To him the word of unselfishness. Baptize him with the whole spirit, Holy Spirit. If there is in you a selfish desire to exercise sensation, give that desire to the Lord. In no other way can you come into eternal life. If you look at our society and how sex pervades and prevails in every nuance, of what is sold and taken and taught in some way, shape, or form. Such a simple thing. Maintain control of the physical. These 12 powers are all expressed and developed under the guidance of divine mind, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith Jehovah of hosts. You must keep the equipoise. You must, in all the bringing forth of the 12 powers of man, realize that they come from God and they are directed by the word of God and that man, Jesus, is their head. Jesus is the head. You know, and so... Looking forward into numbers, into the number 12, and the occult power and mystic virtues of 12, 
right? So Reuben was referred to the opening of the lodge. The lodge meaning that, you know, 12 was also used in the 12 grand points of masonry. Hmm. Simon, the preparation of the land. Levi, port or signal. Okay. Judah, the entrance. The tribe that first entered the promised land. Zebulun, the prayer. And blessing of his father that fell on him in preference to Issachar. To Issachar, the circumambulation. The indolent tribe who required a leader. To Dan, the advance to the altar trying to get to the altar, to Gad, the obligation, <laughs> to Asher, the entrusting, Nephtali, the investment, and declared free, Joseph, the northeast corner, because Ephraim and Manasseh, the grandsons, represented him, the newest corners, the Benjamin, the closing of the lodge. These this 12 has been taken and used by every race, ethnicity, and religion because it is, the, it, is, it is the basis, it's the foundation, the supreme thought. First, you have to have the triangulation of the situation, which is a threefold power structure, right, with supporting structure for each of the three. Uplifting the governmental structure of 12, and 12 represents completeness. And when times by itself, 12 times 12 becomes 144. The zeros added to the, to the number 144 in order to emphasize that cycles make progress, meaning that a new one would be 10, an extended one. It also serves to disguise the science, a technique used frequently in scriptures. The zeros are a mathematical abstract and have no value in creation. And the zero was not utilized by, by the highly evolved Egyptians of the early dynasties. It was a late invention. Metaphysically, there can never be nothing. There was at least one and one. It's also the highest number because it's unity. The same technique can be found in the yuga system of Hindu philosophy, such as the Kali Yuga, given as 432,000 years. So it's actually talking about the number 432. Hmm. The yuga of the Hindi system refers to brain frequencies and not to time. Understand 432. Hertz. Different brain frequencies correspond to different states of meditation, which is based on Dravidian science that came from Kemet to Hindustan. Brain frequency, of course, has a cyclical link to the great year. But the primary science here is concerned with brain frequencies. So the 144,000 constitute all of humanity. That's the good news, not only for Christians. Through cyclic learning, all of us will eventually be saved. Bad translation, but it brings the home the same point. 
It means that the divine spark will be sparred further learning cycles in physical matter, minerals, plants, animals, humans, and be ready to move up the spiritual hierarchy, existence beyond the time-space environment, form as consciousness. Overstand the frequencies, how it's all connected. You know, also the 12 signs are allotted to planets as their houses, like Pisces, the night house of Jupiter, Aquarius, the day house of Saturn, Capricorn, the night house of Saturn, Sagittarius, the night house of Mars, Libra, the day house of Venus, Virgo, the night house of Mercury, Leo, the soul house of Sol the soul house of Luna, Moon, Gemini, the day house of Mercury, Taurus, the night house of Venus, Aries, the day house of Mars. The, the Egyptians founded the system of the 12 God theology. The, the Kabbalists esteem the 12 the 12 permeations of the tetra of the tetragrammaton 12 months in a year <laughs> the 12 foundations of the heavenly city the 12 egyptian months the 12 sons of jacob were related to the 12 signs of the zodiac by the rosicrucians in a correct order other schemes and attribution have been have been given to try to hide all these different connections. And they're not taught. We're given the pieces of the puzzle and we're left under our own devices to figure out how it all goes together. Even in the Hebrew alphabet, it's in a structure. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And so they correspond the three dimensions of space correspond with, with the three mother letters. The first center and the six faces, the directions of space, i.e. the seven directions of space, corresponding with the seven double letters. And then the 12 edges, the 12 subdirections of space, correspond with the 12 simple letters, thus equaling 22. And the 12 simple letters bond with the different zodiacal names and spaces. The sacrifice of 12 animals. 12 is just prevalent. The 12 winds and their porticos seen in the vision by Enoch according to the book of the calendar of writing to the library of the quorum. The Buddhists recognize 12 causes of existence. The 12 works of Hercules. See, this sacred knowledge was coming down in different types of mythology. But it wasn't given substantive quality in our education. The 12 disciples represent the 12 qualities of mind, which can be controlled and disciplined by man. 
as discipline, they will at all times obey the command of the one who has disciplined them. Matthew 10.1, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. That's what it says in Matthew 10.1. And when he had called unto his 12 disciples, he had given them the power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So we have the power within us to heal ourselves. Called spiritual instruction. You have to call it. The 12 qualities in man are the potentials of every mind. Undisciplined, their actions resemble more of the actions of a mob than they do of a trained and disciplined army. All the storms and confusions that engulf man can be traced directly to 12 irrelated characteristics of the human mind in its present slumbering state. Until they are awakened and disciplined, they will permit every rumor and sensuous emotion to move them. Like, just like my mother used to always tell me, Mariama, maintain your thing. Don't let nobody take you out of your thing. And you only come out if you want to come out because somebody called you. You cannot let every rumor and sensuous emotion move you. When these 12 are disciplined and brought under control, the one who accomplishes this control will say to them, hereafter I call you not slaves but friends. He knows that from that moment on, each acquired discipline attribute of mind will befriend and protect him. The names of the 12 qualities reveal their natures. Simon, whose later surname Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas. Simon, or the attribute of hearing, this faculty, when lifted to the level of a disciple, permits only such impressions to reach consciousness as those which he, which his hearing has commanded to let enter. Can't receive everything. No matter what the wisdom of man might suggest, the evidence of his senses convey. If such suggestions and ideas are not keeping with that which he hears, he remains unmoved. This one has been instructed by his Lord and made to understand that every suggestion he permits to pass his gate will, on reaching his Lord and Master, which is his consciousness, leave its impression there, which impression must in time become an expression. The impression becomes the expression. The instruction to Simon is that he should permit only dignified and honorable visitors or impressions to enter the house, the consciousness of his Lord. No mistake can be covered up or hidden from his master. For every expression of life tells his Lord whom he consciously or unconsciously entertained. When Simon, by his works, proves himself to be a true and faithful disciple, then he receives the surname Peter. Or the rock, the unmoved disciple, the one who cannot be bribed or coerced by any visitor. 
He is called by his Lord, Simon Peter, the one who faithfully hears the command of his Lord, and besides which commands he he hears not. It was this Simon Peter who discovers the I am to be Christ. Discovery is given the keys to heaven and is made the foundation stone upon which the temple of God rests. Buildings must have firm foundations. And the only disciplined hearing can and learning that the I am is Christ remain firm and unmoved in the knowledge that I am Christ. And besides me, there is no savior. The second quality to be called to to, um, discipleship is courage. Andrew, as the first quality, faith in oneself is developed, it automatically calls into being its brother, courage. Faith in oneself, which asks no man's help, but quietly and alone appropriates the consciousness of the quality desired, and in spite of reason or the evidence of his senses to the contrary, continues faithful, patiently continues faithful, patiently waiting in the knowledge that his unseen claim, if sustained, must be realized. Such faith develops a courage and a strength of character that are beyond the wildest dreams of the undisciplined man whose faith is in things seen. The faith of the undisciplined man cannot really be called faith. For if the armies, medicines, or wisdom of man in which his faith is placed be taken from him, his faith and courage go with it. But from the disciplined one, the whole world could be taken, and yet he would remain faithful in the knowledge that the state of consciousness in which he abides must be in due season and body itself. This courage is Peter's brother Andrew, the disciple who knows what it is to dare, to do, and to be silent. To dare, to do, and be silent. The, the disciple James, symbol of disciplined judgment, must when raised to the high office of supreme judge be blindfolded that he may not be influenced by the flesh nor judge after the appearances of being. Disciplined judgment is administered by one who is not influenced by appearances. The one who has called these brothers to discipleship continues faithful to his command to hear only that which has been commanded to hear, namely the good. The man who has this quality of mind, disciplined, is incapable of hearing and accepting as true anything either of himself or another, which does not, on the hearing, fill his heart with love. James and John, James the just, the righteous judge, and his brother John, the beloved. Justice to be wise must be administered with love, ever turning the other cheek, and at all times returning good for evil, love for hate, and nonviolence for violence. The two disciples or aspects of the mind are one and inseparable when awakened. All men for being that which they are, He knows as a wise judge that every man perfectly expresses that which he is as man, conscious of being. 
He knows that upon the changeless foundation of consciousness, all manifestations rest, that changes of expression can be brought about only through changes of consciousness. With neither condemnation nor criticism, these disciplined qualities of mind permit everyone to be that which he is. However, although allowing this perfect freedom of choice to all, they are nevertheless ever watchful to see that they themselves prophesy and do both for others and themselves. Only such things when expressed glorify, dignify, and give joy to the expressor. The fifth quality called to discipleship is Philip, the one asked to be shown the Father, the awakened man, that the Father is the state of consciousness in which man dwells, and that this state of Father can only be seen as it is expressed. He knows himself to be the perfect likeness or image of that consciousness with which he's identified. So he declares, no man has any time my father, but I, the son, who dwelleth in his bosom, to have revealed him. Therefore, when you see me, the son, you see my father, for I come to bear witness of my father. I am my father, consciousness and its expression, God and man are one. This aspect of the mind, when discipline persists until ideas, ambitions, and desires become embodied realities. This is the quality that states, yet in my flesh shall I see God. It knows how to make the word flesh form to the formless. The sixth disciple, Bartholomew, as I mentioned before, is the, is, is the imaginative faculty. The quality of the man, when once awake, distinguishes one from the masses. An awakened imagination places the one so awakened head and shoulders above the average man, giving him the appearance of a beacon of light in the world of darkness. No quality so separates man from man as does the disciplined imagination. The eye is the separation of the wheat from the chaff. Those who have given most to society, artists, scientists, inventors, and others with vivid imaginations. The seventh is called Thomas. The disciplined quality doubts or denies every rumor and suggestion that are not in harmony with that which Simon Peter has been commanded to let enter. The man who is conscious of being healthy will, in spite of the conditions of the world, continue to express health. He could hear through the press, radio, and wise men of the world that a plague was sweeping the earth, and yet he would remain unmoved and unimpressed. Thomas the doubter, when disciplined, would deny that sickness or anything which is not in sympathy with the consciousness to which he belonged had any power to affect him. This quality of denial when discipline protects man from receiving impressions that are not in harmony with his nature. These impressions that are given forth through the media, the medium, distribution of spirits, overstand. That black scrying mirror is sending forth entities and energies and impressions. And impressions lead to expressions. So we have to censor and deny certain things. 
The quality of denial when disciplined protects man from receiving impressions that are not in harmony with his nature. He adopts an attitude of total indifference to all suggestions that are foreign to that which he desires to express. Discipline denial is not a fight or a struggle, but it's just total indifference. Matthew the eight is the gift of God. The quality of the mind reveals man's desires as gifts of God. The man who has called this disciple into being knows that every desire of his heart is a gift from heaven and that it contains both the power and the plan. It contains the power and the plan of its self-expression. Such a man never questions the manner of its expression. He knows that the plan of expression is never revealed to man, for God's ways are past finding out. He fully accepts his desires as gifts already received and goes his way in peace, confident that they shall appear. The knife disciple, James, the son of Alphaeus, the quality of discernment, a clear and ordered mind is the voice which calls this disciple into being. This faculty perceives that which is not revealed to the eye of man. It judges not from appearance, for it has the capacity to function in the realm of causes. Causes. What What caused this? What led to this? The who, what, why, where, and when of it all. Of causes. And is never misled by appearances. Clairvoyance, overstand, is the faculty which is awakened when this quality is developed and disciplined. Not the clairvoyance of mediumistic seance rooms, but the true clairvoyance or the clear seeing of the mystic. The clear seeing of the mystic. That is the aspect of the mind has the capacity to interpret that which is seen. Discernment or the capacity to diagnose is the quality of James, the son of Alphaeus, the disciple of of praise, a quality in which the undisciplined man is woefully lacking. When this quality of praise and thanksgiving is awake within man, he walks with the words, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, ever on his lips. He knows that his thanks for things not seen opens the windows of heaven and permits gifts beyond his capacity to receive and to be poured upon him. The man who is not thankful for things received is not likely to be the recipient of many gifts from the same source. Until this quality of the mind is disciplined, man will not see the desert blossom as the rose. Praise and thanksgiving are to the are to the invisible gifts of God, one's desires. What rain and sun are to the unseen seeds in the bosom of the earth. The eleventh quality is called Simon of Canaan. A good key phrase for this disciple is hearing good news. Hearing good news. Simon of Canaan or Simon from the land of milk and honey. When called to discipleship, it's proof that one who calls this faculty into being becomes conscious of the abundant life. He can say with David, with, with the psalmist David, 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. This disciplined aspect of the mind is incapable of hearing anything other than good news and so is well qualified to preach the gospel or the good twelfth and last disciple. The twelfth and last of, of the disciplined qualities of the mind, again, is Judas. When this quality is awake, man knows that he must die to that which he is before. He can become that which he desires to be. When this quality is awake, man knows that he must die to that which he is before he can become which he desires to be. So again, the generative process to regenerate. So it is said that this disciple, that he committed suicide, which is the mystic's way of telling the initiates, the initiated that Judas, the disciplined aspect of detachment, this one knows that his I am or consciousness is his savior. So he lets all other saviors go. This quality when discipline gives one the strength to let go. It's burdening you, that's holding you back, that's stifling your flight. That's stopping your flight. If you want to reach high, you got to let go. The man who has called Judas into being has learned how to take his attention away from problems or limitations and to place it upon that which is the solution or savior. Take his attention away from problems or limitations, place it upon that which is the solution or the savior. Except ye be born again, you cannot in any wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Except ye be born again, it'll let go. No greater love hath man than this, that he give his life for a friend. When man realizes that the quality desired, if realized, would save and befriend him, he willingly gives up his life, detaching his consciousness the former life, detaching his consciousness from that which he is conscious of being and assuming the consciousness of that which he desires to be. The one whom the world and his ignorance has blackened will, when man awake, when man awakes from his undisciplined state, Until man lets go of that which he is now conscious of being, he will not become that which he is desires to be. These are the 12 qualities which are given to man in the foundation of the world. Man's duty is to raise them to the level of discipleship. When this is accomplished, man will say, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have glorified thee on earth, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
Man's duty is to raise these 12 qualities to the level of discipleship. Overstand the 12, study the 12, embody it, triangulate, break it down into the four sections, and build upon yourself each quality, each day at a time. We're going to take a music moment. Blessings and grace. Like an albatross in your neck, why calculate the loss of respect? 
get in a pillowcase and left that baby. You have not seen nothing yet. It's supposed to feel the pain in your chest. It's supposed to walk through the rain in the chest. It's supposed to know the strain in the stress. You know where you come from, it's what we get. But our love is made to generate love.
a child. America, your mother issues are just out of hand. Now I understand our baby's getting brown too quick. And there's no middle class, which is not that rich. But continues to collect interest, like intelligence. Green roof and design in case some bitches trying to shit. Looking for a moral compass politics with the crickets. Critics coming showers now, they're finally good for business. I'll I don't know much about the market effects. But Solomon South and Babylon's next. Just a little something off from Jericho. These are brick by brick, a bone by bone. Now I don't know much about your architects, but Solomon fell and Babylon's next day. Just a little something off from Jericho. These are brick by brick, a bone by bone. A doozy how to do some top the aces and the big days get you wasted. Don't chase in the face. Lift nasty and my ball man. Classy how I co-train. Swinging like Holly, Holly man. Champion snake. Wrapped around your waist. Heavy with the base. I'm building on the system. Every superficial change, even though we're just Against the what I feed is bad, the nines of mine prevails upon the weakest side, the balance to be found in the psychological apartheid. Yeah, we know what ourselves need, and that we so DC. Propio, strangely, wildly, abundantly, probably, invasive, even Elma say it's nigga season. And no, uh, I don't really like to think like that. Work like 30, 40 years and still ain't cleared my debt. Now, master's upset, and he won't cut my check. Sounds like the life right when you built like that. I don't know much about your architects, but Solomon South and Babylon's next. A little something up from Jericho. See the brick by brick, a bone by bone. Now I don't know much about your architects, but Solomon fell in Babylon's next day. Just a little something up from Jericho. See the brick by brick, a bone by Blessings and grace, and now I'm back with the Go and Gnosis, your news infused with consciousness. I'm going to start off tonight first on TheGuardian.com. It says that most meat animals are raised with the assistance of daily doses of antibiotics. By 2050, antibiotic resistance will cause a staggering 10 million deaths a year. 10 million deaths a year. These antibiotics are sending forth antibiotic-resistant diseases, you know, and, and it's affecting the way that things can be healed and treated, and they're morphing. <laughs> antibiotics do not create blandness, but they create the conditions that allow chicken to be bland, allowing us to turn a skittish active backyard bird into a fast-growing, slow-moving, docile block of protein, as muscle-bound and top-heavy as a bodybuilder in a kid's cartoon. At this moment, most meat animals across most of the planet are raised with the assistance of doses of antibiotics on most days of their lives. 63,151 tons of antibiotics per year, about 126 metric pounds. Farmers began using the drug because antibiotics allowed animals to convert feed into tasty muscle more efficiently. When that result made it irresistible to pack more livestock into barns, antibiotics protected animals against the likelihood of disease. Those discoveries, which began with chickens, created what we choose to be called industrialized agriculture. Industrialized agriculture. A poultry historian living in Georgia proudly wrote in 1971, 
Chicken prices fell so low that it became the meat that Americans eat more than any other and the meat most likely to to, um, transmit foodborne illness and also antibiotic resistance, the greatest low brewing health crisis of our time. For most people, antibiotic resistance is a hidden epidemic unless they have the misfortune to contract an infection themselves or have a family member or friend unlucky enough to become infected. Drug-resistant infections have no celebrity spokespeople, negligible political support, and few patients' organizations advocating for them. If we think of resistant infections, we imagine them as something rare, occurring to people unlike us, whoever we are, people who are in nursing homes at the end of their lives or dealing with the drain of a chronic illness, or an intensive care unit after a terrible trauma. But resistant infections are vast and are a vast and common problem that occur in every part of daily, of daily life to children in daycare, athletes playing sports, teens going for piercings, people getting healthy in the gym. And though common, resistant bacteria are a grave threat and getting worse. They are responsible for at least 700,000 deaths around the world each year. 700,000 deaths around the world each year, 23,000 in the United States, 25,000 in Europe, and more than 63,000 babies in India. Beyond those deaths, bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics cause millions of illnesses, 2 million annually just in the United States, and cause billions in healthcare spending, lost wages, and lost national productivity. It is predicted that by 2050, Antibiotic resistance will cost the world $100 trillion and will cause a staggering 10 million deaths per year. So you had tetracycline, and then you had erythromycin in the 50s, and then you had methicillin, a relative of penicillin in the 60s, and then MARSA, MRSA came out, the methicillin-resistant staphylococcus. And so then after MARSA, there was an extended spectrum, <laughs> which defeated not only penicillin, but its relatives, but also a large family of antibiotics called calphosporins. After the calphosporins were undermined, new antibiotics were achieved and lost in turn. Each time the pharmaceutical chemistry produced a new class of antibiotics with new molecular shape and a new mode of action, the bacteria adapted. They seemed to adapt faster than before, and their persistence threatened to inaugurate a post-antibiotic era in which surgery could be too dangerous to attempt and ordinary health problems, scrapes, tooth extractions, broken limbs could pose a deadly risk. So 80% of the antibiotics sold in the United States and more than half of those sold around the world are used in animals, not humans. 80% of the antibiotics sold in the United States and more than half of those sold around the world are used in animals, not humans. Animals destined to be meat routinely receive antibiotics in their feed and water. Most of those drugs are not given to treat diseases, which is how we use them in people. Instead, antibiotics are given to make food animals put on weight more quickly 
than they would otherwise. To protect food animals from illnesses that crowded conditions of livestock production make them vulnerable to. And nearly two-thirds of the antibiotics that are used for those purposes are compounds that are also used against human illness, which means that when resistance against the farm use of those drugs arises, it undermines the drug's usefulness in human medicine as well. You know, so antibiotic resistance is like climate change. It's an overwhelming threat created over decades by millions of individual decisions and reinforced by the actions of industry. So, you know, we have to protect ourselves in knowing that, you know, Whole Foods pivot to slower growing chicken, birds that share some of the genetics preserved by, by, um, by Frank Reese illustrates that removing antibiotics and choosing birds that do not need them returns biodiversity to poultry production. So all of those achievements are signposts pointing to where chicken and cattle and hogs and farmed fish after them need to go to a mode of production where antibiotics are used as infrequently as possible to care for sick animals, but not to fatten or protect them. That is the way antibiotics are now used in human medicine. And it's the only way that the utility of antibiotics and the risk of resistance can be adequately balanced. Again, this is on theguardian.com. The title says, read this and you may never eat chicken again. Overstand, it just killed my taste for it, for real. Um, on Forbes.com, IMF gives a cautious welcome to universal basic income. Now, for those that have been following this podcast, you know that I did a two-part series on UBI, the universal basic income, and the advent of AI, artificial intelligence, about six months ago, maybe. And so now the International Monetary Fund as of October 15th. This is in the investing section of Forbes.com. University basic income, UBI, is becoming respectable. Less than a decade ago, its principal supporters were weed-smoking hippies and Star Trek aficionados. Serious people either laughed or sneered at it, but now it counts among its supporters a growing number of top economists, entrepreneurs, and financiers. Governments around the world are evaluating its use, and some are embarking on pilot studies. Businesses are partnering with non-for-profit organizations to conduct serious research into the costs and benefits of AI. And now the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has joined the party. In its latest fiscal monitor, it says UBI could reduce income inequality and protect people affected by technological change and globalization. Income inequality between countries has fallen significantly, especially in the last decade, but this has been offset by rising inequality within countries. The IMF says that 53% of countries have experienced widening income inequity, inequality. This includes most advanced countries, whereas inequality is driven by very large rises in the income of the top 1%. Over time, persistent income inequality inevitably causes wealth inequality. So, but why do we need to reduce inequality? If everyone's income is rising, why worry about some incomes rising to than others, right? And so, um, after all, a rising tide floats above all boats, as the saying goes. 
Furthermore, since the savings of rich people can be deployed into productive investment, benefiting poor people through more and better paid employment, tax and transfer programs that take money from the rich and give to the poor could reduce investment, which over time would hurt the poor instead of helping them. In many countries, fiscal reform since the 1980s have concentrated on reducing the tax burden of richer people to encourage them to invest productively, thus benefiting poor people. This is famous trickle-down economics, popularized by Ronald Reagan and dubbed voodoo by the first President Bush. Prosperity in much of the world has improved since the Reagan-era tax cuts, but in recent years, the incomes of low-to-middle-income people in advanced countries have stagnated, while those at the top 1% have continued to rise. Now, there are deep political crises on both sides of the Atlantic as anger at of those who see themselves as losing out fuels populist movements. Political instability threatens global growth and prosperity. Already damaged by the financial crisis from which the world has been slow to recover, no wonder the IMF is concerned about the rising inequality. Chapter one of the IMF's fiscal monitor discusses ways of reducing income inequality within countries. It considers taxes and transfers together as a framework for redistribution. Crucially, it says taxes and transfers aimed at reducing inequality should not hamper growth. You know, so the IMF divides countries into three groups, countries with minimal or no transfer system, for example, Egypt and Bolivia, countries with comprehensive and progressive transfer systems, France and the United Kingdom, and countries with patchy or insufficiently progressive transfer systems, Brazil and the United States. Hmm. Patchy and insufficiently progressive transfer systems. On interestingengineering.com, they say that one computer is better at investing than experts. One computer is better at investing than experts. CEO Bob Goodson was challenged to create a program for the Quid AI project that would predict the best startups to invest in. The results predicted the success of some of the largest names in the apps. So this computer predicted the success of some of the largest names in apps right now. You know, so um, the Goodson market trends, here's a list in brief of the rundown. So first off, the bet is at impact, augmented reality. We'll have over virtual reality. Goodson encourages us to consider that AR, augmented reality, overstand what they want to augment the reality, will have a huge impact on the general population as it is more accessible than other virtual reality technologies. Next up is noting that image recognition and mapping technologies will be crucial as they will be an integral part industry as traditional cars transition to self-driving vehicles. Goodson also acknowledges that the importance of online security will only continue to increase and have more serious, serious consequences for all sector of both private and governmental organizations. Education will also continue to move away from traditional school models toward digital applications that can be accessed by broader, broader audiences. Unsurprisingly, drones feature in Goodson's list, especially their adoption into commercial environments. 
And finally, wearable technologies that have inbuilt smart sensors are among Goodson's top contenders. He expects products that include sensors might be earbuds, eye authentication apps, and holograms. And this is on interestingengineering.com. As far as investment opportunities, you know, look toward that list. As this Goodson AI computer has beat actual people and what is going to hit financially in unprecedented times. And the Associated Press tells reporters to stop saying transgenders were born boys or girls. The Associated Press has updated its media-style guidelines related to LGBT or people who identify either as neither male nor female. The new 2017 guidelines for the Associated Press asked the news media to stop referring to female impersonators as transgenders unless it is relevant. The new LGBT guidelines also include using the phrase gender confirmation. The medical procedures often but not always used for transition. So now they'll say the person had gender confirmation surgery. That's how it has to be written, according to the AP guidelines. But the most troubling new guideline is the AP's insistence that journalists avoid references to transgenders as being born a boy or a girl. So now when you read the news, they will not, they want you to avoid referencing whether the person was born male or female. In other words, reporters should avoid informing their readers or viewers that a biological man was born a boy. Reporters are also urged to stop informing readers of a transgender's real name, even if the transgender has not legally changed name in any official ID. An example of media outlets abiding by the new LGBT guidelines in this NOLA.com article that does not inform readers that Christina Goods, pictured above, was born a boy or state his real name. Goods, 19, was arrested in August for performing oral sex on a juvenile. And the, and the, and the writer refers to, God's, to Goods as a woman and uses feminine pronouns throughout the article. The new AP guidelines takes transgender debate in a problematic direction. Critics say crime statistics will be skewed to show an upward trend of women committing violent crimes and rapes. Men currently lead all categories of violent crimes, including sex crimes against women and children, but that will soon change. Critics such as writer Sarah Arami say that the AP's new LGBT guidelines trample free speech. So when you're reading the news, it's going to be skewed even more so than it was before. These are the new AP guidelines. They are now to use the term gender confirmation for the medical procedure that's done, and they are to avoid referencing to transgenders being born a boy or girl. And you should not use the person's real biological mother given name when reporting on anything transgender on businessinsider.com a new study shows that students learn way more effectively from print textbooks than screens 
Now, we see that they want to augment reality, and they want to digitize education. But here on the businessinsider.com, a new study shows that students learn way more effectively from print. Tech students see themselves as digital natives digital natives, and the first generation to grow up surrounded by technology, like smartphones, tablets, and e-readers. Teachers, parents, and policymakers certainly acknowledge the growing influence of technology and have responded in kind. We've seen more investment in classroom technology. You know, so it's at a cost. It is across the studies, the text differed in length, and we collected varying data. Nonetheless, some key findings emerged that shed new light on the differences between reading printed and digital content. Students overwhelmingly preferred to read digitally. Reading was significantly faster online than in print. Students judged their comprehension as better online than in print. Paradoxically, overall comprehension was better for print versus digital. So even though the child felt confident, the, comp- the, the whole comprehension of it all was better for print versus digital. And the medium didn't matter for general questions like understanding the main idea of a text. But when it came to specific questions, comprehension was significantly better when participants read printed text. Okay, so placing print in perspective. From these findings, there are some lessons that can be conveyed to policymakers, teachers, parents, and students about print's place in an increasingly digital world. We all read for many reasons. Sometimes you're looking for an answer to a very specific question. Other times you want to browse a newspaper for today's headlines. As we're about to pick up an article or text in printed or digital format, we should keep in mind why we're reading. There's likely to be a difference in which medium works best for which purpose. In other words, there is no one medium fits all approach. You know, so you're supposed to analyze the task, slow it down, and um, see if it's something that can be measured. You know, and ultimately pick up a book. You know, that's where the comprehension comes from, not from the digital screen. And so this study shows that overwhelmingly. And on some positive news, Telsa starts shipping power packs to Puerto Rico. This is according to electrek.co, E-L-E-C-T-R-E-K.co. Telsa is shipping power packs. To Puerto Rico, Elon Musk said last week that Telsa would accelerate its efforts to help bring back power to Puerto Rico after sending a few hundred Powerwall battery packs to the island where the electric grid was destroyed by hurricanes last month. Now we learn that Telsa is indeed stepping it up with the new shipment of power packs. A single power pack, two battery pack, has the same energy capacity, 210 kilowatts. It's almost 16 Powerwall, two battery packs combined each 13.5 kilowatts. Tellus Powerwall is useful to bring individual rooftop solar installations back online for homes and small businesses, but Telsa's power pack has the potential to bring larger parts of the grid online by working with the electric by working with the electric utilities and combining the energy storage systems with solar farms and other renewable energy sources. Now, several Telsa power packs were spotted at the San Juan airport in Puerto Rico over the weekend. The new shipment arrived not long after Musk spoke with Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rosello last week. So this is a positive thing, blessings and strength and grace to the ones in Puerto Rico so that they can move forward out of this disaster that has been placed at their doorstep in Yeshua's name. We're going to take um, a music moment, come back.
with herbnology. Blessings and grace. Caramel-coated hybrid of the night. I really don't care because your slander won't kill me. I finally figured it out. You can't live peacefully. You need to hate. You need to fight. And your own blood is good enough to dislike. In Africa, you kill each other using tribes as an excuse. In Europe and the Americas, you destroy each other with fool's gold and economic tools. I guess I should kill them.
Blessings and Grace, and now we're back with technology on IBM.com, excuse me, O3.IBM.com. IBM announces major blockchain solution to speed global payments. I did um, mention blockchain in previous podcasts. Um, so solution powered by IBM blockchain in partnership with Stellar.org and ClickX Group, collaboration with banking leaders to accelerate financial exchange and settlement across currency corridors. And this is as of October 16th. IBM today announced a new blockchain banking solution that will help financial institutions address the processes of universal cross-border payments designed to reduce the settlement time and lower the cost of completing global payments for business and consumers. Using IBM blockchain, and in collaboration with technology partners, Stellar.org and ClickX Group, the solution is intended to improve the speed in which banks both clear and settle payment transactions in a single network, in a single network, in near real time. Today, making international payments can be costly, laborious, and error-prone. Transactions in different currencies can require multiple intermediaries and take days or weeks to complete. According to the World Bank, initiatives to modernize payments and provide financial access could improve the flow of currency and commerce and help achieve the goal of extending financial services to 1 billion people by 2020. That's close. The solution is already processing live transactions in 12 currency corridors. Overstand currency corridors across the Pacific Islands and Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. Using a blockchain distributed ledger, all appropriated parties have access and insight into the clearing and settlement of financial transactions. It is designed to augment financial flows worldwide for all payment types and values. One monetary system, overstand, and allows financial institutions to choose the settlement network of their choice for the exchange of central bank-issued digital assets. So, for example, the future, the new IBM network could make it possible for a farmer in Samoa to enter into a trade contract with a buyer in Indonesia. The blockchain would be used to record the terms of the contract, manage the trade documentation, allow the farmer to put up collateral, obtain letters of credit, and finalize transaction terms with immediate payment, conducting global trade with transparency and relative ease. IBM has convened an initial group of diverse banking leaders as a part of the development and deployment process, including Banco, Babao, Bacaza, Argentinaria, Bank Damanan, Indonesia, Bank Mandiri, Bank Negara, Indonesia, Bank Pramada, Bank Rockbok, Indonesia, Kisakorn Bank in Thailand, Musu Financial Group, National Australia Bank, Rizal Commercial Banking Corp in the Philippines, Sumotomo Mitsu Financial Group, TD Bank, Wizdra HK of WorldCom Finance, as well as other financial institutions. So TD Bank is pleased to participate along with fellow banking leaders to observe how IBM blockchain can support more secure and effective payment solutions, said Rizwan Khalifan, EVP and, and Chief Digital and Payments Officer of TD Bank. We're focused on innovation that adds value 
for our customers and our business, and blockchain presents a tremendous opportunity to transform and enhance payment systems, enabling us to continue to evolve the products and services we can offer. Now, this is a big step for those that understand. This is going to, you know, pave the way for so much more. You know, maybe I'll do a theme on blockchain one time and see where we can go with it. Um, on futurity.org, ultra-thin curved concrete roof generates solar power. So now they have an ultra-thin curved concrete roof that generates, the roof itself generates solar power. Using unique design and building methods, researchers have created a prototype for an ultra-thin curving concrete roof that will also generate Solar power. The self-supporting doubly curved shell roof has multiple layers. The heating and cooling coils and the insulation are installed over the inner concrete layer. A second exterior exterior layer of concrete sandwich structure encloses the roof onto which builders install thin film photovoltaic cells. A shell is part of a rooftop apartment called High Low that will go up next year on the nest the living lab building in the Swiss Federal Laboratories for Materials Science and Technology and the Swiss Federal Institute of Aquatic Science and Technology in Dubendorf, Switzerland. Eventually, thanks to the technology and the adaptive solar facade, they expect the residential unit to generate more energy than it consumes. Now, that's a wonderful aspect, to be able to generate more energy than it consumes. So blessings and grace on those in Dubendorf, <laughs> Okay, on working on this and making it real. Um, But there's also, you know, for those that are interested in cob homes in which earth, clay, and straw also does the same thing without the photovoltaic cells. Um, Blessings and grace on the nature of the Most High. And lastly, on bbcnews.com in the technology section, microwave breakthrough helps boost hard drive sizes. So now hard drive sizes have dramatically increased because of the use of microwaves. The data storing ability of hard drives can soon swell up to 40 terabytes, TVs, and beyond, says Western Digital. Currently, the largest hard disk drive, HDD, that stores data on a spinning disk can hold about 14 terabytes of information. Western Digital said the bigger drives were made possible by finding a way to use microwaves to write data on 3.5-inch drives. The first bigger capacity drive should go on sale in 2019, okay? While solid-state drives are popular with home users, many large companies and web firms fill data centers with disks that depend on moving parts because at high capacities, they are much cheaper and last longer. The drives store data on disks or platters that spin at high speeds. A disk with a data capacity of 40 terabytes will be able to hold more than 2,500 two-hour movies encoded at a standard resolution. Western Digital said it could produce the big drives as it had found a way to increase the density of data recorded on a disk by using microwaves, a technique known as microwave-assisted magnetic recording. Microwave-assisted magnetic recording, MAMR. The company is the first to produce a disk that uses this technology. So this is going to be available in 2019. You're able to store more data, right? 
and um, hold on to what's important. Imagine that 2,500 movies, two-hour movies at that, on one drive. That's a lot of space. We're moving at the speed of life. We're going to take a music moment and come back with Herbnology. Blessings and grace. Blessings and grace, and I'm back with Herbnology. And these are 12 treatments and tips for um, natural treatment and tips for cold and flu. Number one, know when not to treat symptoms. 
believing or not, those annoying symptoms you're experiencing are part of a natural healing process. Evidence of the immune system is battling illness. For instance, a fever is your body's way of trying to kill viruses by creating a hotter-than-normal environment. Also, a a fever's hot environment makes germ-killing proteins in your blood circulate more quickly and effectively. Thus, if you endure a moderate fever for a day or two, you may actually get well faster. Coughing is another productive system. It clears your breathing, passages of thick mucus that can carry germs to your lungs and the rest of your body. Even that stuffy nose is best treated mildly or not at all. A decongestant like Sudafed restricts the flow of blood vessels in your nose and throat. But often you want to you want the increased blood flow because it warms the and helps secretions carry germs out of your body. Um, two, blow your nose often and the right way. You know, when you blow hard, pressure can carry germ-carrying phlegm back into your ear passages, causing an earache. So the best way to blow your nose is to press one finger over one nostril while you blow gently to clear the other. Three, treat that stuffy nose with warm salt water. Salt rinsing helps break nasal congestion. It also removes virus particles and bacteria from your nose. Um, A popular recipe is one quarter teaspoon of salt, one quarter teaspoon of baking soda in eight ounces of warm water. Use a bulb syringe um, or a neti pot um, for, for, um, for nasal irrigation to squirt water into the nose. Hold one nostril closed by applying a light finger pressure while squirting the salt, the, um, the salt mixture into the other nostril. Let it drain and repeat that two to three times and treat the other nostril. Um, four, stay warm and rested. Staying warm and resting when you first come down with the cold or flu helps your body direct its energy toward the immune battle. The battle taxes the body, so give it a little help by resting. Five, gargle. Gargling can moisten a sore throat, bring temporary, temporary relief. Gargle with a half teaspoon of salt dissolved in eight ounces of warm water four times daily. To reduce the tickle in your throat, try an astringent gargle, you know, um, with apple cider vinegar. Gargle made with honey or apple cider vinegar mixed together. Um, or steep one teaspoon of raspberry leaves or lemon juice in two cups of hot water and mix with one teaspoon of honey. Let the mixture cool to room temperature before gargling. Drink hot liquids. Hot liquids relieve nasal congestion and prevent dehydration. And soothe the uncomfortable inflamed membranes that line your nose and throat. So if you're congested and you can't sleep at night, try a hot toddy, an age-old remedy. Make a cup of hot herbal tea, add a teaspoon of honey, and a small shot, about one ounce of whiskey or bourbon. Limit yourself to one. Too much alcohol will inflame the membranes and make you feel worse. Seven, take a a steamy shower. Steamy showers moisturize your nasal passages and may help you relax. If you're dizzy from flu, run a steamy shower while you sit on a chair nearby and take a sponge bath. Under a salve or under your nose, you know, use a salve under your nose. A small dab of methylated salve under your nose can help open the breathing passages and and restore the irritated skin at the base of the nose. Using menthol, eucalyptus, and camphor all have mild numbing ingredients that may help relieve the pain of a nose rubbed raw. However, only put it on the outside under your nose, not the inside. And apply hot or cold packs around your congested sinuses, number nine. Either temperature works, you can buy reusable hot or cold packs at the drugstore, the kind that go over your eyes and you put in the freezer, 
Um, you can apply heat by taking a damp washcloth and heating it for 55 seconds in the microwave. A small bag of frozen peas works well also as a cold pack. Ten, sleep with an extra pillow under your head, alleviating your head. Elevating it will help alleviate and um, relieve congested nasal passages. If the angle is too awkward, try placing pillows between the mattress and the box spring to create a more gradual slope. Eleven, don't fly unless necessary. There's no point of adding stress to your already stressed out upper respiratory system. And that's what the change in the air pressure will do. So flying with a cold or a flu, congestion can temporarily damage your eardrums as, as, as a result of the pressure changes during takeoff and landing. If you must fly, use a decongestant and carry nasal spray with you to use just before takeoff and landing. And chewing gum and swallowing frequently can also help relieve pressure. And 12, eat infection-fighting foods. And so here are some good foods to eat if you're battling the cold or the flu. Bananas and rice soothe an upset stomach and curb diarrhea. Vitamin C-containing foods like bell peppers. Blueberries curb diarrhea and are high in natural aspirin, um, which may lower fevers and help with aches and pains. Carrots, with um, they contain beta-carotene. Chili peppers may open sinuses and help break up mucus in the lungs. Cranberries may help prevent bacteria from sticking to cells in the lining of the bladder and the urinary tract. Mustard or horseradish may help break up mucus in air passages. Onions contain phytochemicals, support it, and um, what they do is that they help the body clear bronchitis and other infections. And black and green tea contain catechin, a phytochemical that's supported to have natural antibiotic and anti-diarrhea effects. So remember, serious conditions like sinus infections, bronchitis, meningitis, step throat, asthma can look like a common cold. If you have severe symptoms and don't seem to be getting better, of course, call your doctor. So those are 12 natural treatments and tips if you're battling the cold and the flu. We're going to take a music moment and come back. Physics of the moment. Blessings and grace.
It is time you open up that metaphysical grave that had been dug for you, the part of you, the spark that lays buried. That is what's going to open you up. That's what's going to give you the ability to escape. Escape your metaphysical mind. 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 Blessings and grace, and welcome to the metaphysics of the moment. What led me to tonight's overstanding is that there are 12 names in the Bible that only have two letters. And so I wondered what those names meant and if a message could be derived thereof. So we're going to start off with the metaphysical meaning of I, A-I. And so it's Hebrew, and it means the heap, a heap of rubbish, of ruins. It's the east city of Bethel. It is now a hill of stones. In scripture history, I, or E-Y-E, overstand, I, E-Y-E, or Hai, was the royal city of the Canaanites, and Joshua, Ezra, and also mentioned in Isaiah. The metaphysical meaning of A-I is mentioned in the Bible with Bethel, and Joshua 8, much is written about the utter destruction of I, but nothing is said about Bethel being destroyed. Though both at the time were cities of the Canaanites, we are told that Jacob named Bethel house of God. When he had the dream that caused him to exclaim, surely Jehovah is in this place. Surely Jehovah is in this place, and I knew it not. Abraham also built an altar between Ethel and I, 
Abraham signifies faith in God as awakening in the human consciousness. The faith is inner spiritual sight, and that man who perceives a divine presence and man's oneness with it, Bethel. I must refer to the egotism, the egotism and the self-confidence without recognition of spirit. You got to have the I and I over sin. These are counterfeits of faith. They are destructive, heap of ruins to the building of the truly spiritual character and must be put away that the individual may come into the knowledge of his unity with God. Real practical faith in God in the unseen yet almighty omnipresent, omniscient spirit of truth, of rubbish to the state of thought that is built up in self. The ruling idea of egotism and skepticism, skepticism, in the sense consciousness, the king of I must be overcome by the I am. The faith that God may be established and that the individual may come into a realization of his true relation to God. To overstand the I, I and I. And the metaphysical meaning of R, A-R, a city, especially fortified city, a strong city to excite, arouse an enemy. The chief city and capital of Moab, it often stands for the whole of Moab. The metaphysical meaning of R and aggression, get it, R, A-R, R, <laughs> an aggression of strongly established thoughts, a strong city, the carnal mind, Moab. It is the seat of the activities of the carnal mind, of the seemingly inherent baseness and depravity, and one who has given himself over to sensuality, to excite, arouse an enemy. When an individual is awakened to the understanding that he is a son of God and that his body is God's temple and that he is inherently good instead of evil, the overthrow of R of Moab is at hand. Overstand. The metaphysical meaning of ed, as ed, duration, time or space, eternal, a witness, testament, an ornament, pleasant, beauty, delight, perfection. An altar that was built by the, by the Israelitish tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who were left on the other side of Jordan. They built this altar as a witness to the other tribes of Israel, who went over the Jordan and settled in Canaan proper, that they too believed in Jehovah. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad are called the altar Ed, for they, it is a witness between us that Jehovah is God. So the metaphysical meaning of Ed, the established evidence, of spirit within us that Jehovah, our indwelling Christ, is the Lord of our whole being. The idea which we worship and seek to become like the both in mind and body. An altar in consciousness is a state of thought wherein some definite truth is realized and acknowledged and wherein lesser thoughts and activities are released to spirit. That the substance, energy, and power the substance, energy, and power that the individual has put into them may be transmuted and thus be utilized in the working out in his life, the higher ideals, 
that have been revealed to him. Understand the Ed. The Ed. King it out. Working out the higher ideals that have been revealed. Educating yourself, right? Metaphysical meaning of er, er, awake, watchful, alert, watcher, watchman. The eldest son of Judah, he was wicked and Jehovah slew him, according to Genesis 38.7. A man named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Luke 3.28. To the metaphysical meaning of er, er, observant, attentive, vigilant thoughts. Observant, attentive, vigilant thoughts. In matters of great deal, which one watches or gives attention to, understand how these correspond. If one persists in recognizing that which appears to be evil and error, one cannot obtain abiding life and good. We are transformed into the Christ likeness by beholding him, not by taking cognizance of the lesser self with its seeming limitations. You have to filter and center, understand what you take in. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in, the, that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness? Matthew six twenty three. So err, observant, attentive, and vigilant thoughts, and the, metaphysic, and the metaphysical meaning of ear, I-R, confluence, Flowing together, welding, kneading, cementing, city, encampment, watcher, watchtower, vision, heat, anger, wrath. A Benjamite father of Shippam and Hippam, right, in Chronicles 7.12. So, so the metaphysical meaning of er, I are is the flowing together and unifying the welding and cementing of thoughts that are similar in character to form a consciousness, a city or or metropolis of watchfulness. So the flowing together and unifying of thoughts that are similar in character to form a consciousness of watchfulness, of waiting on God and keeping the mind's eye centered on that which is high and spiritual that a keen insight into truth may be realized. See the vision, the watcher, the watchtower. Jesus said, take ye heed, watch and pray. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, 1333, By continually looking within to spirit as our light, our all, the true Christ vision, or insight into truth is open to us without this vision, without spiritual understanding and a keen foresight into the workings of the law. The law is not kept in error, is not kept in error results. Hence, there is no sure reaping of abiding good. Okay, so it's the flowing together, the unifying the cementing of thoughts that are similar in character to form a consciousness of watchfulness. And the metaphysical meaning of no, no. Okay, it's a place, a portion or possession of amen, place of amen, place of the grand artificer, of the artificer, 
artificer, excuse me, a place of the grand artificer, portion of the master craftsman, a portion, no, a portion of the master craftsman, hmm. a city of Egypt, Thebes, it was named after Egyptian god Amon and was very large and celebrated city, as mentioned in Jeremiah. Metaphysical meaning, the Egyptian good god, Amon, signifies the darkened belief of carnal man, and that his inheritance is of the flesh. His inheritance is of the flesh. No, no, no. That his body is material, and that the substance and life that sustain it are material. No, a very populous and celebrated city in Egypt was named after the god Amon, and 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 means place or portion of Amon. No signifies the multitude of thoughts in the Egyptian or darkened, obscure, carnal consciousness of man that go to make up the era belief for which Amon stands and that give their substance to it. In its spiritual aspect, no Amon refers to God's spirit as the creator and the builder of the universe place of the grand artificer, portion of the master craftsman. Thebes, another name for the Egyptian city of No, or No-Aman, is derived from Theba, which is a word used to designate the ark that Noah built, in which he and his family were preserved. Overstand, so it's the portion, a portion of the master craftsman. And also it signifies the carnal man that seeks his inheritance and flesh. The metaphysical meaning of Og, long-necked giant, right, Og and Magog, king of Bashan, he was defeated by the Israelite at Idri, and his land was, a, was apportioned by Moses to the children of Gad and of Reuben and the other half tribe of Manasseh. So the metaphysical meaning of Og, the seeming immensity of the strength that has been given by the race thought, that in consciousness which the Amorites represent, or the apparently very great powerful hold that this Amorite belief has, that outer personal man, understand the race thought, that the outer personal man, the long neck, the neck being the seat of the power faculty in man, giant, a king of the Amorites. So the seeming immensity of strength that's been given to the race thought, right? So we're all focused on the outer personal man as opposed to the inner strength that we can claim divinely. And the metaphysical meaning of on, O-N, Hebrew, Egypt, City of the Sun, Heliopolis, Beth Shemesh, embodiment of light, luminous, brilliant, the sun, faculty, ability, strength, power of radiation, wealth, and substance. And the Corpiety, radiating brilliance. A city in Lower Egypt, one of the oldest known cities in the world, it's also called Heliopolis and Beth Shemesh. 
All right, so Heliopolis was devoted to pure monotheistic worship of a god that was symbolized in the sun. Its sanctuaries, Moses was educated as a foster son of Pharaoh's daughter, as a prince and the priest of Egypt. Homer, Plato, Final, and other sages of the Western world went to the city to obtain initiation into philosophy and cosmic mystery. Joseph's wife was a daughter of the Potiphera, the priest of On. See Jeremiah 43:13. In Ezekiel 30:17, it's said to refer to the city of On in Egypt. Another On was an Ebonite. He was one of those who rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and he was destroyed by the earth opening up and closing over him. Numbers 16:1. So the metaphysical meaning of On in its purity, one refers to spirits. And to true spiritual understanding, substance, and power, it appears in our Bible. However, the outer symbol, the sun, is worshipped, and the sun and the truth back of the symbol has been lost sight to a great to a great degree. This worshiping of the outer symbol or form, and looking at the outer for understanding, and all good is idolatry, and 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 it must come to an end. So it refers to the true spiritual understanding of substance and power. And again, not getting caught up in worshiping the outer form and looking to the outer for overstanding, understanding, and understanding. And that all good, all of that idolatry, all that kind of stuff has to come to an end. And the metaphysical meaning of so S-O, it's Hebrew, again from Egypt, chief, prince, rulership, crocodile, Saturn, a measure, one-third epa, about one and one-half pecs, measuring and measured. So so is measuring, measured, rulership, a measure, right? And also Saturn, a king of Egypt, to whom Hosea, the king of Israel, sent messengers, and conspiring against the king of Assyria um, and 2 Kings 17.4. So the metaphysical meaning of so is a limited idea of judgment, discrimination, a limited idea of judgment, discrimination, measuring, a measure, ruling the darkened phase of consciousness that Egypt signifies, right, the rulership. So it's a limited idea of judgment. You can look at that in two ways, having discrimination or having a closed mind, measuring, measuring, taking time to measure and rule things out or rule them in, understand the rule and the ruler. You have to measure. And the metaphysical meaning of er is light, region of light, east, orient, brightness, brilliance, splendor, fire, flame, blaze. And Ur of the Chalades was the place of Abraham's nativity, mentioned in Genesis eleven twenty-eight to 31. Father of Elipheo, who was one of David's mighty men, 1 Chronicles eleven thirty-five. So the metaphysical meaning of Ur, understanding, intelligence, active in man, or the inner spiritual phase of man's being, whence true light shines throughout the consciousness, True light, 
shines throughout the consciousness. Light region of the east, region of light, brightness, splendor, fire, blaze. Also the shining of that light. Okay? Overstanding whence the true light shines throughout the consciousness. Intelligence active in man or the inner spiritual phase of man's being. Uh, and the metaphysical meaning of us. U-Z. The metaphysical meaning of us. Um, it starts off with us is, is um, Hebrew, and it means substantiation. Substantiation, growing might, formative power, concentration, purpose, plan, impression, imagination, fertility, counsel, advising, consulting, making firm, fixing, hardness. Uz, a son of Aram, who was the son of Shem, the grandson of Noah, Genesis 10:23, son of Nahor, the brother of Abraham, Genesis 2:21, son of Deshan, of the descendants of Seir, the Horite, Genesis 36:28, the native land of Job, Job 1:1, the land of Uz is mentioned in Jeremiah 25:20, and in Lamentations. 421 and from the latter text it is evident that this land was inhabited was inhabited by edomites us the metaphysical meaning of us the process of thought by which man arrived at a conclusion the process of thought by which man arrives at a conclusion be it truth or error and establishes it in consciousness the substantiation of it, the formative power, purpose, plan, making it firm, the lesson that the experience of Job teaches. Job's arguments with his three friends and his finally getting at the truth, which wrought such a great change in his life, picture the inner controversies that the spiritual awakening individual is very likely to experience with various phases of his own consciousness before he arrives at true spiritual understanding. Especially is this the case if he is more or less established in the outer forms of righteousness and is the intellectual reasoning type of person, right? Because you got to feel and have the inner knowing you know, so it's it's the process of thought by which man arrives at the conclusion and establishes it in consciousness. The formative power of concentration, right? Having your impression match your expression, your purpose and your plan, the growing might of it. Seeking counsel or counseling. Using your imagination, making firm, and fixing what needs to be fixed. Uz, fixing what needs to be fixed, right? Uh, understanding intelligence, active in man. So the limited idea of judgment, using discrimination, measuring things on, refers to the to the spirit and to the true spiritual understanding 
the substance and the power. Og, the immensity of the strength that has been given to race thought <laughs> and the consciousness of the outer personal man. Okay, and how we have to put the seat of power faculty in man back in alignment with divineness. Okay, and the metaphysical meaning of no, Ada builder of the universe, right? The portion, retaining the portion. And metaphysical meaning of er, the flowing together, the unifying. You know, and the metaphysical meaning of er, er, observant, attentive and vigilant thoughts, and of Ed, the established evidence of spirit within us, that Jehovah, our indwelling Christ, is the Lord of our whole being, the ideal which we worship to seek to become like in both mind and body. The altar in consciousness is a state of thought wherein some definite truth is realized and acknowledged. Realize and acknowledge it. Tune into it. And are the strongly established thoughts in the carnal mind, right? You have to control the physical, control your mental. And when the individual is awakened to the understanding that he is a son or daughter of the Most High and that his or her body is the Most High's temple and that he or she is inherently good instead of evil, the overthrow of the R can happen, understand? And the I, the I and I, right? The heap of the heap of rubbish that's on the outside eye and not looking at the inner eye. Physical faith in the Most High and the unseen yet almighty, omnipresent, omniscient spirit of truth is nothing if the ruling idea of egotism and skepticism and skepticism is in sense consciousness and must be overcome by the I am. You have to overcome in the Most High's name. We're going to take your music moment. Blessings and grace.
blessings and grace. I'd like to give a shout out to the frequency that upheld my vision. That was just Allie. Keep on. For all those that are going through something, all those women, you have to keep on. You can't sway with all that, you know, individual other person where they go with their ups and downs. You have to keep on within yourself, whatever it is that you have to do. And move forward and lead by example sometimes. Overstand. It's just one of the roles that a woman must take. And so um, that was just Allie, keep on. And no name, freedom interlude, featuring the illustrious one herself. And Desiree, stronger, Bodhisattva, who am I? Say Lotus, Black Belt, Desiree, set the flame. The key, Ibrahim, do the right thing. Morgan Nicole, wonder. Oshun, God. Desiree, rulers of heaven. The Whitefield Brothers featuring Bajaka, Earthology. Sirach, I am her. John 9, in the midst. Blessings and grace for joining the Eye on another podcast of Women's Wednesday. And hopefully your next seven days will be praised and glorified and magnified in Yeshua's name. Amen. I wonder if trees ever mourn dead leaves. Like what if all trees are born into an eternity of silence to show respect for those lost in a wind full of violence. Do leaves actually enjoy the breeze? Mm. Or are they caught in an internal conflict of wanting to fly free versus losing the source of their green, their support system? I know that feeling. That feeling is 17, head over heels in love with your high school sweethearts, but it's the summer of senior year and college is fall. That feeling is single mother trying to make a home out of a box and you can tell she loves her son because she just bought him new socks that that feeling is the tears that are triggered by those memories that she wouldn't trade for anything in this fucking world that feeling is the first time little boy mm. meets little girl mm. that feeling is the answer to machiavelli's question is it is it better to be feared To be loved, to be or not to be, Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, same feeling as the window seats on Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, see it was all good just a week ago, and then the Fire Nation came through, and when they burned down the forest, they burned down the truth, and then they chopped up the youth and cremated their souls and put chains on their right to choose, somebody spread the news, these ashes, These ashes, they remind me of my people Mm. Completely solid, yet we crumble under pressure I wonder if the tallest trees were the ones who put in the most effort Or maybe they just got lucky Maybe their seeds were planted with a trust fund of roots and abundance Maybe, maybe the birds sank to them more Maybe they had higher self-esteem because the squirrels all thought that they were cool Maybe, maybe they got to grow up in the finest Amazon gardens of undisturbed serenity and then there's trees like me. And then there's trees like me. And then there's trees like me. Trees like me. See, trees like me were born as a project and planted on the sidewalks of the inner city. Trees like me were bound on both sides by tensions that are supposed to make sure that I grow up straight. But in reality, eventually, 
See, one tension overcomes the other, and I'm stuck with a choice to make. Do I, do I grow in a direction that pulls me towards the streets, or am I grounded enough to keep reaching for the sky? Even when it does rain, the concrete at my feet center the nutrients that reach my roots, and the birds only sit on me to take a shit. And the squirrels only see me as a means to an end, and when fall comes, my leaves do just that. Fall. Trees like me have to watch the life wither from their veins until they are swept away. Trees like me live a lifetime full of funerals, but free, free, free. Because the forest is just a euphemism for society. Society. And the trees are you and I. You and I. And love. love. See, love is the space in between.